Yeah. Yo. 50 years of hip hop. 50 years of hip hop from Listener Power, KEXP. Welcome to 50 Years of Hip Hop. I'm Larry Mizell Jr. This week, my guy Dusty Henry takes us back to 2017, but keeps us close to home. We're chatting with the Seattle based rapper, Christy Karifa Johnson, aka Do Normal. We'll look back at her seminal 2017 album, Third Daughter, a modern local classic, and explore what it means to truly embrace freedom as an artist. You're originally from Southern California, right? Yeah. Yeah. When did you move to Seattle and what brought you up here? I moved to Seattle right after I I finished school in New York, actually. I met Raven Matthews, who goes by Rave Holly at school. Mom's out again. We were both studying at Sarah Lawrence College, studying poetry. And he ended up moving back to Seattle. And when I graduated, I just went and met up with him. And our, our whole goal was to kind of just, you know, be together and do music and pretty much do exactly what we ended up doing. I feel like a big part of when I think about you and your music is like the community around it. And, you know, with that too was also this collective 6950 that you and Rave Holly started. Can you tell me about 6950 and how that began and what it became? It might have been the first time that we performed at church. We met Devin Wolf and Sam Breakbill. Wolf Tone and Breakbill is what they ended up going by. Sam had been playing beats and we kind of like jumped up on the mic and started rapping over them. And we just, we really liked his beats and he was close with Devin. And so we all kind of just started making music together. And I think it was like back in that time. So I guess this is like 2014 collectives were like a big thing. Like it was like, you wanted to have your little crew, your collective, you know, there was like awful records and there was like Raider clan and, you know, all these groups that we were listening to. And, and we just, you know, that, that seemed like the thing to do to kind of create a little crew. So that, that's what we did. And that's how 6950 started. And then it kind of just, it grew and we met more artists, Taylor Elizabeth, shifting, shifting, new age magic, making moves. Guayaba, Machete, Mario Casolini, a thousand yard stare, that's a way of life. My eyes never change back, broken paradigm. Oh my gosh, there's just so many. It became something where it was like no longer a roster type of thing, but just, you know, people that we connected with, that we hung out with, that we used to go see play, that used to come see us play. Just, it kind of just became a community. Maybe a little bit of a, a philosophy too, which was just, you know, about radical acceptance and trying to be a bridge between a lot of different factions of the music scene in Seattle, 
there were no limits to, you know, what kinds of artists we would collaborate with, what level they were at, you know, what kind of music that they made. That was a big part of 6950 was just we wanted it to be really inclusive and really unifying. Definitely. That was that was the thing I remember a lot too, is like the shows that you and everyone in that crew would play and they'd be like noise punk shows at bands like Charms or something. And then you know, hip hop show, it just, it really brought the scene closer. I feel like to have those divides kind of broken down. Yeah. It it was so cool. And like, it really like informed the music that we were making eventually to like have all of those influences around us. It helped us in our own experimentation and our own kind of like playing around with genre and what was possible and and it's definitely part of why the music that we all made sounded so unique you were playing a lot back then i remember in 2016 you played almost 100 shows i want to say sometimes multiple times in the same night even Yeah, I played a lot. I really loved to be on stage, you know. That was just my favorite aspect of doing music. So I kind of just couldn't get enough, and I said yes to everything. And I just wanted to do it as much as I could. I definitely wanted to, you know, have a big career and like have you know that kind of classic trajectory all the way to the top but actually when I stepped foot into doing the music the things that it would have required for me to do that weren't really like where my head was at you know I wasn't even really trying to tour you know I didn't I didn't plan big tours or anything like that I wasn't like making merch I wasn't trying to like put out as much music as I possibly could I really just wanted to play shows around you know my friends and the people that had been around while I was creating this music when I remember hearing your music for the first time, it must have been around Jump or Die. I felt like I'd never heard, hadn't heard anything really like it. There's such a sense of like artistic and maybe spiritual freedom or independence in what you do. Is there anything you try to channel from within yourself when you're writing and performing? I mean, I have so many different influences. The things that I grew up listening to, they really run the gamut and they all have played such a big role. Outside of that, I've always just had a very singular taste and creative expression. I grew up moving around a lot, always kind of being a minority in the places that I was. So what comes out of me creatively is just oftentimes really singular. A lot of people see my music as like alternative and experimental and like kind of like weird it took other people saying that to me for me to really realize it because it feels so just what is is naturally coming out of me. You know, my spiritual beliefs, I believe a lot in the fact that I am a living embodiment of my ancestors. And I think that they come through a lot. My friends, my family, you know, all these people who have helped raise me, who have supported me. It all comes through in my music, I think, and 
yeah, it's just kind of like do normal, you know, that's, that's the best way for me to explain it, I guess. Is that what your name implies? Like do normal? Like- so it's a Dutch phrase pretty much means like do normal, like Dutch people will say it when, you know, somebody is acting weird or different or out of line or, you know, they'll just like do normal, like kind of like be cool, chill out, like stop, you know, knock it off. That's what it means. And so, yeah, there's like that irony there of like the music that I was making being a little bit different and it being called, you know, do normal, like do normal, stop that, you know. Letting myself fall. You mentioned your family before too, and your ancestors and family being so important, and it comes up a bunch in your music. Yes, ideas you had for the album and specifically that term third daughter, what does that mean to you? My songwriting is is pretty stream of consciousness. Like it, the the project really takes shape as I'm making it, and it's kind of, you know being decided by whatever the muse is trying to say and and not so much by me consciously. But Third Daughter, it was the name of a poem that I wrote in, in school. My family is just a big pillar in my my life story for me. And, um, you know, they, they've been the ones that have, have always been around, always been around, always been supportive. I just feel such an intense loyalty to my family and I feel so honored to be a part of my family. And so third daughter is just kind of like my homage to, you know, my place in my family being technically the third daughter, although I do have a twin sister. So we're kind of both the third daughters, but I was pulled out first. So I am the third and she is the fourth, basically. Ego Slave was a huge song from this record. I know KXP played it quite a bit. I remember hearing it everywhere I went that summer. Can you talk a little bit about the, the inspiration behind that song and what you were trying to convey? I remember during this time, there was a lot of talk about ego death. Being young and, you know, we're all experimenting with psychedelics and things like that and which is amazing and fun and and such a cool experience you know when when you do experience an ego death you can experience that outside of doing psychedelics as well but you know it's it's an important experience and it shifts your perspective completely but i also feel that's a temporary experience our egos are important We need them. We can't kill them off permanently. That wouldn't be safe for us. It wouldn't be safe for other people either. Really, it's about learning how to integrate the the various sides of your ego to repairing your ego, to try to make your ego feel safe and to kind of work with your ego just as, just as our ego is always working with and for us. I've always felt like I need to work with and for my ego. And there's something about my ego that has really saved me in a world where, you know, societally, I'm not supposed to have a bunch of self-esteem. The powers of be don't want us to have self-esteem. They, they certainly don't. <laughs> they certainly don't want us to have an ego in a way that gets in the way of, of their plans. 
But yeah, like that first line, I can't stand for somebody to take my love of myself away from me. I can't stand to let somebody take my love away. I'm in all myself, so what? I take off make up bullet for myself someday. If only so my mother doesn't cry, no tears. That's interesting. I mean, as I've read in other interviews with you where you talk about low self-esteem being like the true root of all evil mm-hmm. and just the importance of self-esteem, like just in general in your music, it, you're trying to help people feel that in themselves too? Or is, is this, is music an act for you to like resist against that pressure to have low self-esteem that society tries to put on you? Yeah, I 100% am trying I want us all to be doing it together. I'm trying to, I'm trying to do it and I'm trying to inspire other people to do it as well. And by it, I mean, you know, work on self-esteem. You know what I mean? Cause yeah, I do think it, I do think low self-esteem is the root of all evil. I do think it's, it's the root of like not being able to love and care for another person. I love all that. And I love, and I love in your music too, where, you know, there is so much that's uplifting, but you also like are not afraid to talk about the struggles you, you feel like on the very next song, Emotional. I say so. I'm emotional. Just talk about all this. I sense it all. I'm emotional. I mean, if you could talk a bit about that song, but also how you find that balance in your life and through your art uh, of pushing against that those ideas. It's, it's almost kind of like a like a coming out or like a plea of like, I just want you to know, like I'm really sensitive and like, that's why sometimes I act like this or I feel this way. You know, I just, I'm feeling it. I'm feeling a lot all the time. I've always been super, super sensitive since I was very, very little. And when you, when you're, you are extremely sensitive, you're picking up, on a lot, all day, all the time. You're picking up on other people's feelings. You're picking up, you're kind of feeling the general weight of the world all the time. So you can sort of feel isolated. I think that's a big thing for us in the creative world is being sensitive. So creating things is is huge. I think that's why I write. I do music, right? But like, I'm a writer. That's what I started doing. You know, I was writing when I was like five. I was writing poems and short stories. And I'm a just a, a wordsmith. And I don't think, I don't know what I would do if I didn't have that medium. Because I just find it extremely hard to communicate what I'm thinking and feeling in a sufficient way um, outside of writing like a poem or a story or a song. How did you sort of come to, to hip hop or rap as like your main outlet to get this all out? I've always just been such a big rap fan, such a big hip hop and rap fan my whole life. You know, there's something about rap that is so uniquely special. I think especially when it when it comes to the the writing aspect, the storytelling aspect. I mean, obviously, like amazing storytelling happening across all genres, you know, but there there is something about the rapper that like took like being a confessional poet and and put it into like the music world in a way that I don't 
I don't know if it exists in that same way outside of rapping. And, you know, like there's also like the practical things, right? Like I'm not a trained musician. So like, I don't really know how to sing. I don't really, I haven't really, like, I'm not like vocally trained in any way. So like, you know, hip hop and rap has always been a genre that was created by people who did not necessarily have the same access to to some of the same resources, you know? It was kind of like a, a genre where people were taking bits and pieces of, of this and that and putting it together and, and making music that was so, like, relatable because it... I'm trying to figure out a way to say this because it's like, no, it's not like anybody could do it. That's not <laughs> That's not how I feel about it at all. But just rap feels accessible, you know? Like, making beats feels accessible. I mean, I think that's why it's spread internationally in the way that it it does it's just it just has that quality of like relatability and like the people so i think that's what drew me to to rap and hip-hop and like you know being a poet and i think that you know rap and poetry is you know it's the same what do you feel like set seattle hip-hop apart from you know you grew up in south california and you live in new york now like what, what do you think Seattle does differently? Seattle, to me, will always, like, represent a, like, an openness. You know, there's just, like, an open-mindedness, at least in my experience when I was there. There was just an open-mindedness of, of what was allowed to be made, you know, of, like, what people would accept and what people were willing to, like, champion and take seriously. I think in a lot of music scenes, you know, there can be, you know, there can just be like certain trends that like are, are what people are really going to like lift up and champion, or there's like a certain style that that area has is known for. And that's how people do it. You know what I mean? But I, I just think that it was kind of a free for all in Seattle. Like, people were doing all sorts of different things and that was okay. And like, people liked it. People actually liked it. You know, there was, there was, at least in my scene, there was very little like, ew, like that's bad. Or I don't like that. Or that's weird. You know, it was always like, Oh, cool. Like, that's interesting. You know, how do you do that? Well, what's making you do that? Oh, like I do this. Like maybe we could put those things together and, you know, people just, it it seemed like, not only the artists who were making the music, but also the people who were just coming out and listening really encouraged that kind of like playfulness and openness and were just like down for whatever. Like, I mean, there's like a lot of places. I'm sure there are a lot of environments where I could go and I could do a song like Buddy and people would be like, what is, what, what's going on? All my life I've been waiting to be, waiting to be number one and now I'm but people just loved that song in Seattle. And I love that people love that song in Seattle. That's so cool because it's very strange. Six years removed away from, from Third Daughter. Like, how do you feel about it now? Like what, if you had to pick, like I think of like a legacy or anything for that record at that time, what do you think it would be? 
It's so funny. Every time I think about Third Daughter, I think about My Way by Frank Sinatra. Much more than this, I did it my way. That's what I think about that time. Just doing it my way. Do it your way. You know, there's so much pressure and so many rules that people make up. And you just don't ever have to do it any other way but your way, you know? Make the art that you want to make. Put it out when you want to put it out. Be as slow as you want to be. Be as fast as you want to be. Take a break for 10 years. Take a, Never take a break, you know what I mean? There's Art wants to live, and it's, it's going to live. You can't get in your own way, you know? And I think that with capitalism and this idea of linear time and all of that, you know, it, it puts a lot of limitations on people and it can even like paralyze people and make it so that people, people completely give up on themselves or, you know, they think it's too late. They think they didn't do it right the first time around and they can never, you know, I just... My time in Seattle really taught me that I can do it my way and and it can work out so beautifully and it might not look anything like you thought it was going to look like, but it just, just the fact that you stayed true to yourself and authentic to yourself and true to your vision, the universe loves that. And the universe just is going to grant you so many beautiful things for doing that because it's a hard thing to do. So... I just, that's what I think of when I think about 6950 and Seattle and that time and, you know, the music I was making and all the shows I was playing. I just think about, you know, I did it my way and like, thank God for that. Thank you for that. And thank you for doing it your way. It truly means so much to me, so many people I know as well. So thank you so much, Christy. Oh, yeah. Thank you, Dusty. This piece was written by Dusty Henry. Audio was produced by Roddy Nikpour. Next week, we're taking you to 2020 with a crossover episode with another KXP podcast, El Sonido Cancioneros. I'm Larry Mizell Jr. We'll see you next week on 50 Years of Hip Hop from listener-powered KEXP, where the music matters. Music matters.